really, really excited to interview Chingyi Chang, principal research scientist at Autodesk AI and research manager. I have been following Chingyi's work for a while and the amazing research Autodesk AI is doing. Like I'm very inspired and couldn't be more excited for this interview because like first fact, Chingyi's background is mechanical engineering and architect and he transitioned into AI as a researcher. So that's itself is like very inspiring to know people from AEC having this kind of journeys. And second is like a lot of cool work uh, he has been researched with the team. So just to know that journey and insight is gonna be uh, very interesting. Thank you, Chingyi, for your time to do this. Thank you, Mayor, for, for the introduction. Uh, I'm also very excited to be here to share some of the uh, the experience and work uh, we have been working on. Uh, you also, you know, as you said, this this all these works are not done by myself. It's a collaboration with many people from different disciplinary and different companies and different schools. So yeah, I mean, all credit to him to to, to them and. Uh, um, yeah, that's, you know, get started today. Yeah. So before we move on to your journey part, like, can you tell us what is one point of time where you got very excited about AI and you had to make the switch from engineering architecture to AI? What was that realization moment? Uh, it's not actually a, a exciting moment. It's actually a continuous search process. So um, maybe I can explain it through some of these slides. So so it's actually, you know, uh, as, as you, you know, I'm not starting as an architect. I'm also, you know, not starting as an AI researcher. So it's like there's a serious transition that changed my thoughts to do this and to do that. And, and in the end, I'm doing what I'm doing now. So, so I'm in probably gonna spend maybe three to five minutes. I can show you know how I <laughs> transit from uh, from this row uh, to that row to and until today. Yeah, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, without much ado, let's dive deep into your journey. Can you share us how you started? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, so, um, yeah, I I started my my. Uh, study in mechanical engineering in undergrad, um, but I I thought I, I can do design such as airplane, uh, uh, car design or industrial design in mechanical engineering major. But at that time, you know, uh, the course structure or, or the direction doesn't really fit my desire. Um, I really want to find an area that my creative thinking and engineer thinking can keep fighting uh, with each other. And I really enjoy that kind of process, but purely doing mechanical engineering, you know, couldn't fulfill that kind of desire in my mind. So I decided to transit to uh, uh, architectural design uh, school. And uh, I feel architectural design is actually exactly that kind of thing you will be doing every day. You're always thinking about these two confliction. Uh, with yourself and even with others so so yeah that's why i i, I switched but uh after i right after i switched i found you know um 
something you know this is not really working well uh, at that time. So traditional architectural workflows or tools, you know, they're kind of slow for iteration and also hard to create complex design and modify it, right? So if we talk about just you know doing hand sketch, physical modeling, and CAD drawing, and all, all these kind of traditional things. So yeah, that that and and I also have, have been trained as an engineer, so I know lots of you know um, coding or even uh, in mechanical engineering there has been you know people has been using uh, very advanced parametric modeling tools such as CATIA and also you know using strip to do design as already. So um, I started to think you know how can I utilize those uh, programming tools or more advanced modeling tools to help me. So, you know, uh, I started to do, you know, lots of, you know, parametric design, computational design, like all, 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 all many others uh, uh, have been doing, uh, including, you know, some of the pavilions or even my undergrad thesis, which is more like a bottom-up agent-based city renewal system. Uh, like you handcraft a, a SimCity game, right? So sim pretty much like that. Um, but you know, uh, at that time, I really truly believe that you know computational design is going to, you know, disrupt the design uh, industries. Everyone should learn how uh, to learn coding. Uh, I was really naively believing that, uh, you know, about ten to twelve years ago. Um, so, so at that time, I really you know tried to utilize computational design uh, to to do my own design and also teach others. Right, so. Um, but, you know, uh, at some point I realized that the adaption rate or the speed of adaptation is not really uh, as fast as I, I, I'm expecting. Still, till even today, it's only a small portion of people uh, who are able to utilize computational tool in their daily life uh, for architectural design. So uh, there are, you know, many potential reasons we can discuss, but two of them I, I think is one uh, kind of important is technical barriers. So, so one is technical barriers. The, the, the technical barrier is not saying like, oh, okay, no one can learn uh, Grasshopper Dynamo, but it's more about when you dive deeper, there is just too wide for everyone to cover everything, right? So even just for simulation optimization, it's already really, really going to be very deep. So, so you cannot expect everyone can utilize or understand everything and code everything, uh, and also everyone has a, a, a you know spectrum of how how much they can accept this, right? So, so, so really, it's not going to work in this way for every designer. And also, one more important thing is this kind of programming tool or even visual programming tools still are not really intuitive enough for you to feel or or, or interact the, with the design right although you can see the visualization by tweaking the slider but it's still not the way we really want to express the thoughts right so this or or it's a different way to express the thoughts right so so this this is just your different mindsets so everyone has to be, you know, be able to adjust in between those mindsets. So it's really not going to work for everybody. So um, yeah, so at that time I started my grad school uh, at MIT. So I really start to think, what is the solution? What will be the solution? Or potentially, you know, how can I do? 
Um, yeah, so uh, I was thinking more like instead of asking everybody to learn coding or dive very deep, can we provide more interactive ways that everyone can utilize the power of computation while still require low or no code, right? So, um, so, but how can we do that, right? So, so, so at that time I found, you know, at MIT, it was 2014, everyone was talking about machine learning and AI. That was just around about the time, right? <laughs> so the boom just started and then uh, um, AlphaGo and all the things just keep happening every day. So I started to think, okay, how much should I know? And also um, how can that be helpful to create this kind of imaginary schema that or ideal schema I'm, I'm looking for. So yeah, um, at that time I, I, I started to, to take many classes at MIT and also uh, I work as a research uh, assistant at MIT Media Lab, the Tangible Media Group. So uh, in, in, uh, in Tangible Media Group, I participated many uh, of their research projects Men, uh, basically all of them are more in the HCI field, uh, but it's not traditional UI user experience HCI, but more about you know interactive material, programmable material, and this new type of interfaces. So I work on those projects, not because I'm really into that direction, but because I want to utilize, use those projects as a, as a playground to uh -huh. try how, how all these new ideas or new skills I have learned, right? So for example, uh, this is a, a project we did uh, with, with uh, uh, media, tangible media group uh, people. Um, uh, so this is a, okay, I can actually play video. So, so this is a, a sports garment uh, that can open and close on the back. So you, there are many flaps that can open and close on the, in the back. So when you are basically uh, uh, jogging or dancing, the, the back is hot and humid and you are sweating a lot, those flaps will open. And then when you cool down, feel cold, these flaps will close. So, uh, but the problem is the fashion designers we work with doesn't have this expertise of, you know, knowing how these flaps will open and and close. And also this is a new type of material uh, which is driven by bacteria, not electricity. Uh, so, so, so this is really hard to also simulate it. So it takes a lot of time to do uh, finite element analysis. So, so this is you know, not going to work if we want to design, uh, if we want to design an interactive material without an interactive tool. Right, so, so so the tool has to be real time and interactive. So mm -hmm. so at this time, you know, I try to use some data driven method that try to boost the the simulation into a, a, a real time uh, in, in uh, a speed, such that whenever the designer draw a, a curve or draw some flaps, you will immediately see how it moves up and down, and. Uh, um, so basically the, the, the idea is pretty simple. You just pre-compute many uh, uh, flaps ahead. Mm -hmm. 
and, and different shape, different situations. And whenever you have a new new shape, you try to find the nearest neighbor, and then you use yeah. that pre-computed result as some, some kind of uh, approximation or initial starting point. And then in after that, you keep running the simulation, and then. Instead of you know jump uh, starting from the scratch, you jump to a very close state, and then you keep keep doing that, and that will brings you a, a a very large jump, reducing the the amount of iteration required to a very minimum uh, numbers. So you can actually achieve uh, uh, real time. So uh, so I actually utilize similar idea in some of our later papers, but but you know again this is just you know um, some of the the projects I, I utilize as a playground so that I can try all these kind of new ideas. And this is another project we do uh, pasta design, shape changing pasta. So, mm -hmm. so you can actually uh, design your own pasta shape. So design your own pasta shape by tweaking the parameters and you can draw some patterns and then you basically can see once you cook it, how, how the pasta will look like, will look like. So, so, um, this is using similar uh, uh, idea by basically pre-computing and do data driven. So it's not fancy machine learning yet, um, but you know it's just some some initial uh, ideas. I want to to see if this can really help the design process, right? So when people can interact with this interface, I mean we 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 collaborate with the chef. Uh, uh, in Boston, and then he actually uh, designed many dishes uh, using our 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 uh, shape changing pasta. So yeah, and and then the previous project was a fashion designers, right? None of them are really you know computational designer or have this kind of ability to code or simulate things. But with this kind of tools, they they are able to do that, right? So so um, yeah, um, that's probably the second part of the journey and then I, the I have two part. questions uh, sure sure yeah for example like even like i did bachelor's in uh, engineering and for masters in us like it's a three-year program uh, in states so first is like you said you did machine learning courses at your time at mit so yeah. was it like part of the curriculum or you were exploring other schools and how are other batchmates uh, at that time like what was the atmosphere Got it, got it. So, so the the program, the first I, I did two masters at MIT. So the first program I joined is basically the computational design masters uh, in architecture uh, major. So uh, this is called a, a program called SMARCS in computation. So the program itself is super flexible. It's a research oriented program. So you don't really have many you know required courses but you are basically allowed to freely take courses at MIT and find a research topic and that will become your thesis. Uh, as long as this is related to you know, computational design, that will be actually okay. So um, uh, actually all of my classmates are working on or, or, or basically exploring different directions. Some of them are doing VR, some of them are doing you know, robotics and you know, everyone's having you know, their own own uh, direction. So, and mine is more like this kind of interactive design tool plus um, uh, AI related applications. So yeah, that was the, the first program gave me this flexibility. 
And then uh, after that, I uh, applied the second program uh, at you know uh, under the uh, MIT uh, C Cell AI Lab um, Computer Science degree. So so basically, uh, how it works at MIT is you basically need to find a professor that can uh, support or are willing to you know uh, supervise you. And you have to also fulfill uh, a bunch of course requirements, and then you submit this to you know, the committee. And then if they say, "Yeah, this is okay," and then you will be able to do a, a second degree. So yeah, that's how, how, I, how I did that. So um, it's not. Uh, I mean, if if the first program were not flexible, I wouldn't be able to to do this. Yeah, I see. That's that's super interesting, and like uh, we hear a lot about MIT Media Lab and the amazing work uh, they are doing. So, how is it? Is it like working there? What are the different areas and explorations people are doing, and like how did you get into that space? Yeah, so uh, really, there are three things or three three places I have been playing around at MIT. One is um, the computational design group. Secondly, uh, is uh, the computer science department, and third is of course uh, Media Lab, the uh, Tangible Media Group (TMG). Um, so I joined them their research project actually even before my first uh, semester at MIT started. So I, I randomly um, found that they are looking for some collaborator uh, for a summer project. And then uh, they are looking for some kind of, you know, computational designer or who can, person who can do, you know, geometry modeling and simulation and something like that. And I found, okay, since I'm actually joining uh, MIT and, and I can just arrive a little bit earlier, uh, to the states and then uh, join their research project and then yeah and then they say oh yeah actually why not this is a good fit and so that's how I, how I get started but uh, after that you know I just keep working with them and even officially became a, a research assistant in in the group and uh, you know contributed to some of their projects and uh, yeah I think that's that's how I get involved. But, but this great. is not like a unique situation. Uh, everybody at MIT, especially you know in, in our, our program, uh, many people are just reaching out to different uh, departments, different labs at MIT, and then have some collaboration, even work with them. So, so this dynamic is not you know very unique. So I'm just you know one of those people who did this. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, um, should I? Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, so after MIT, uh, eventually I really think, you know, there are three pillars I really like, which is the machine learning design and how machine learning can work with designer, which is the interaction part. So uh, as you can see on the bottom right, so these three circles, the intersection of these three circles is, is the, the, the place what I really, really interested in. So um, I decided to join Autodesk Research um, and then they they are really, 
I was really lucky because they, at that time they just started to think about why not we can you know explore AI for for designers uh, for Autodesk products, right? So, so um, I joined them and started to to think about what we can do. Uh, but at the beginning, what I was thinking is more like how we can apply the existing algorithms or technology to some of the problems or some of the desired uh, interactions I, I'm hoping to achieve, right? Um, but the problem is, you know, it's not going to work for many <laughs> situations. First of all, the representations are not actually, you know, uh, we, we're using architectural design or any kind of design. It's not images or point clouds or even voxels, right? So, so we really need a different representation or at least find a way to represent it or, 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 or make it more usable for the designers, right? And, um, you know, um, that's the, the biggest problem. And also those problems, trendy machine learning problems, um, and then people are tailing, tailoring their models for solving those problems. And then that's why it doesn't have this kind of, uh, how to say that customization or, 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 or a little bit more tricks that is more suitable for solving our problem, right? So even if you can solve the, even if, for example, a graph, graph neural network is pretty generic that can be solving, you know, all different kinds of things, but how can you tailor it to solve your own problem requires a lot of research, right? So, so, so right after probably the first project I, I did at Autodesk, I found that, okay, this is not gonna, you know, work in this way. So I have mm -hmm. to dive into the algorithm myself, uh, to actually develop the, 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 the solution we really need or to explore the solution. And more importantly, to advocate the the problem uh, to the AI research field, right? So 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 basically, if nobody in the AI research field really care about any AEC related problem, and if only me or uh, our team at Autodesk is you know doing this, this is not going to be uh, growing in scale, right? So the yep. most important thing in AI research is that people share about research result. People care about the same problem. And, and whenever there's a new interesting topic, lots of people will actually contribute and you will see like hundreds of paper on, on those topics every year. Mm -hmm. So so that's how it works, right? So so for us to solve really, you know, the problems we care, it's not like we we want to claim, yeah, we 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 were the person who did this and then nobody should touch our territory. No, it's not like that. We should actually be open. We should okay. advocate. This is fun. This is cool. And everyone should join. So so uh, two of the reasons I, I started to do AI research is basically uh, uh, not only just solving the problem we need by ourselves, but also advocating and even recruiting uh, uh, and, and reaching out to people in academia to, to let them understand this is fun, this is worse. To, to explore. So yeah, that's actually uh, uh, 
you know, the things I have been doing in the past four years. Yeah, I hope this is a quick, you know, summary and 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 and, and a story. Um, yeah, of my journey. That's that's amazing. Uh, I totally haven't thought about that because, like, in order to push it to the state of the art, you need to get the AI community excited about the problem in AC, and that yeah. makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and of course, like it's bi-directional, right? So you also need to get the people in the AEC field being excited for it, and then uh, and, and and but but something we haven't really uh, uh, resolved till even today is to have more uh, uh, generic or 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 large-scale data set that is available for everybody, right? So so this is something we we still don't have today so people thought like Autodesk has a lot of data but actually not we cannot copy <laughs> or steal customers design file right so it's not so so we really need to join the force together try to you know find a way to come up with a large enough data set uh, that everybody can use and everybody can do research on those data so, so yeah that's some of the things i really want to do uh in the near future yeah yeah, and uh, I, I got very happy when I got to know, like in CVPR, there was the first workshop where there was like point cloud BIM data. And yeah. I thought, okay, we, we have a good uh, start and like things are getting better and people are getting excited about point cloud and BIM issues. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was a, a cool uh, workshop. But, you know, the, the data they are providing are still not really large enough right so so if you know if you play with the data you will know so really it's just a starting point but it's important starting point right so how mm -hmm. can we uh, eventually get a larger and larger data set and people more and more people are interested in this direction so yeah scan to being definitely is important uh and also you know all this kind of design related topic is important simulation all, all this kind of thing are all important so we can name like you know a hundred of cool topics in, in this industry but uh it's more important is like how can we have data set and and also attract people um so yeah what, what we have been doing is like we do the work and publish and try to also release the data if we can so um but really it's still uh just starting right now so yeah mm -hmm. um yeah so so next i think there are some of the um high level thoughts about how we approach this ai uh for design uh and then uh there will be several projects we can dive into but you know uh i i also want to know you know how how you want to go about this um next yeah yeah like uh, i think like we can do like high level summary and like architecture of the model and then uh we could go deeper yep yeah so um i think basically the high level the highest guideline for <laughs> for all of us at Odas research is basically especially for, for, for people who want to work on design is we want to be more involved in, and interactive. We don't want the algorithm just popping the design 
<laughs> options for you yeah. to pick, uh, right? So, so we wanted to be more involved, engaged, and experienced. And uh, by, uh, to do so, uh, I think there we want to solve some of the high-level common pain points instead of uh, trying to be trying to say like AI is actually very creative. AI is like having cool ideas. Uh, although maybe in some case that's true, but what I really believe is that still I, I want the human designers to be able to drive their thoughts and express their thoughts. And then uh, the tool we are building is only trying to help you to engage or improve the flow, right? So, so this common pain points, low level task, boring task, repetitive task, or dif difficult, expensive, or slow tasks, those are the things we really want to help the designers. So in short, it's basically design with you means actually let the designer enjoy the fun part in the design mm -hmm. process, right? So, but this is also very um, uh, case by case. Different designers enjoy different things and different problems or in, in, in different stage of the design process has different things to enjoy and different things to hate, right? So um, it, it really, it, in the end, it's more about who is the user? What is the problem? And uh, it's not going to be a, a, a one solution for solving everything. So it really has to be diving into the flow and workflow, work with the designer, interview the users, such that they will tell you what is the right thing to do, right? So. Um, yeah, in high level, you know, uh, one framework we are trying to form is that, you know, we know the designers are using different representations uh, for, for their design process, but this process is not actually linear. It's always, you know, jumping around. And, and different representations has their own uh, strength, right? So some of them are very flexible, describing high level abstract idea. Some of them are more you know can create more sophisticated or detailed and accurate uh, things so 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 different representation has their strengths so we don't want to eliminate or or focus on only one or two representation but instead we want to help designers uh transiting or working in between those representations right so um and also here if you have to jump around those repetitive low level difficult tasks will actually happening be happening in those transitions. Um, so if we take a look uh, in, 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 from the previous diagram to this diagram, basically just look at a different aspect. So if we think about the, the green dot as the designer, so you are always looking at or observing one representation and then try to digest it and think about it and output to another representation or even back to the same representation. For example, you look at your own sketch and then try to think about how you draw the 3D or you look at the requirement and think about how you draw some sketches, right? So you are always having this input encoding and decoding process in your mind and working with the representations. So, and in reality, there are actually even many more representations we have been using in the architecture design process. So it really, it's how we can uh, help this process. So the idea is how about we have a, a blue dot here, which is actually a, a, maybe a machine learning model. 
or a more technical way to say is maybe a latent space, right? So, so in here, uh, when we want to do some kind of transition, um, we can actually think about, for example, uh, let's say I, I want to produce sketches or and bubble, uh, sorry, these layouts and detailed floor plans. I had to basically produce it by myself and keep redoing the work. But if there is a, a, a model that is observing my sketches and trying to converting it to different representations, that would be super useful. So, so this is called translation. Um, I just have this blue dot doing this representation translation for me. And then there's another concept called generation, right? So instead of translating one uh, output, I can translate many potential mm -hmm. mapping, right? So, so one sketches can produce different layouts potentially, right? So, so we are basically using this uh, uh, blue dot here, trying to uh, look at what we have been doing as a designer and try to understand that and translate or generate re results in different options, uh, in different uh, representations. So this is the highest level guideline for, for all the projects we, we have been doing. Uh, I mean, at least I have been doing in the past four years. So including, you know, house scan, building scan, and also some of the early works. Um, yeah, so um, that's the high level ideas. And then uh, feel free to ask any question or we can jump into uh, any specific project, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I was thinking for your observation and translation, like we have like different modes to do it. Like some people sketch on paper or like we have image data flow plans. Like what's, yeah. what's the process of those translation and are you storing it in vector, tensor, SVG format? Like, are you noting the time steps of each? Like, can you elaborate more on that? Yeah, so it's not that detailed. So this is more like um, a research directions. So for example, uh, in in one of the project, you might be looking at, for example, building again, you might be looking at how we can drive from the by observing the constraints and goals and bubble diagrams to create volumetric design, right? So, so the blue dot is doing this kind of thing. And then in some of our early work, we were looking at how we can translate the room sketches to, to layouts. Those are one way of doing that. So we are not saying we are building a, a generic AI system that can look at all the uh, representations and try to help you. It's not that yet right so it may be 20 years later we will be able to do that but right now as i said we, we need to be more specific into one specific workflow into one specific problem such that this interaction interaction or this translation or generation is desired or 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 useful for that kind of process or that portion of work in the whole workflow, right? So, so we're not building any generic things uh, to solve mm -hmm. all the problem together, but we use it as a, as a map, right? So whenever you're thinking about the next project, what's missing, what's next? And whenever you are interacting or interviewing a, a user, uh, what do they really want? How can I translate their thoughts, their feedback into some of this roadmap or, or, or mapping 
or framework we have right now, right? And then what is missing in terms of uh, technical part, right? So for example, right now, if you need to look at a structured design system, and what is the right representation? What is the right neural network for that? And when you want to output the volumetric design, what is the right format for outputting volumes? What is the right uh, uh, architecture of doing this? Are we doing generation? Do we need to use GAN? Do we need to use the other uh, generative model? When we are doing translation, what do we need to care? Right, so so this is just a a a a, a tool or or a map that helps you to frame your problem and to think about the solution. So yeah, I I, I hope that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and I must admit I love this diagram. Like it clearly shows like the whole spectrum of research you have done and like amazing. So can you uh, give a like? Uh, basic overview about like what are the different uh, neural network or models you have used like for example GAN or like yeah 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 so at the beginning like in my earliest work this is actually my first project at Autodesk it was like 2017 summer um, as you can I think you can guess what I was using here so so these are just very uh, simple uh, image to image translation networks, right? So, but at that time, basically what we were doing is we want to produce an interface that can allow user to switch in between input representations. So instead of only doing sketches, right? So you can actually switch to, to manipulate the, uh, in the semantic level, right? So, so you want to allow the user to switching between two representations and that all will lead you to some detailed floor plans so this was you know my first project and then at that time uh i remember we only had uh cycle gain and mm -hmm. uh but but the if you know cycle gain is for like one to one domain translation but okay. now i have three right so uh, how can i do this you know multi-domain translation because at that time there was no um, papers like uh, Muni or uh, Stargan yet, uh, but later that that year we, we had those. But that was the 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 time I found oh state of the art is not enough, right? Because I want to do more. How how can I do that, right? So so that's why we started to to do that by ourselves. Um, yeah, here is one the first example and. Uh, uh, house scan. Now we talk about generation, right? So, so we do a uh, uh, bubble diagram to lay out, and of course, keep using GANs. But right now, you need to consider the graphical uh, relationship between the rooms, right? So that's why we need a, a graph neural network. But it's more tailored version of it. As I said, uh, it's not generic graph neural network because we care more about the two D. Uh, relationships and the information. So we use ConvMPN uh, developed by uh, our collaborator Nielsen uh, at Simon Fraser. So it's more about when you passing message between nodes and edges, you are passing this kind of two-dimensional tensor information instead of the, the vector, which proven to be more uh, inf informational rich uh, uh, for for this kind of tasks, right? So so yeah, this is a combination of uh, generative model GANs and also graph neural network. 
Yeah. So um, other work such as you know building GAN, our latest work is kind of a continuation of house GAN, but instead of keep using the image representation, we start to use a, a new uh, representation called vo uh, 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 non-uniform voxel graph. Basically, uh, we we define something called voxel graph. It's basically we can uh, sorry not actually not this this slide, but but uh, this slide. So uh, voxel graph is basically we we if we look at all the commercial buildings, you will see the structure system and you will see some preferred uh, uh, divisions uh, actually here, right? This, right? So if you look at all the 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 building that being built, you can clearly find some patterns, no matter it's due to the, the, the facade panelization or due to the uh, structure system, you always can find this kind of uh, space partitioning as some part of the design intent. So instead of asking the model to produce or uh, to generate like pixel, uh, and that is going to be you know, more zigzag and actually noisy, uh, how can you create clean edges? And how can you really capture the thoughts of this design intent, right? So, so that's how we uh, invented this uh, voxel graph system, such that each each voxel is not really uniform voxel anymore. Each voxel can be a, a different way you partitioning the space. A unit can be, you know, uh, not like a cuboid, but more uh, arbitrary. And you can also uh, limit the design space. For example, if you have sunlight restriction, you don't have to utilize the whole space of the grid. You can chop some of them out, right? So this is limited. This is not allowed to build, right? So so with the graph, you have this flexibility compared to voxels. And then uh, and also this graph also provides you uh, a, a more geometrical information, right? Compared to more generic graph. So, so it is kind of in between a graph and also uh, a voxel representation, but kind of you know trying to bring the the good from both sides. Uh, and other and, other, uh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry to break. And uh, the representation, uh, like in the model, is it like on a like graph neural network uh, level, or it's like using yeah. PyTorch three D and like on the three D space? It's it's graph graph neural network. So so uh, the idea is basically we represent the program input bubble diagram as a graph, and then our output or our design space, which is the voxel, is also represented as a graph. So the problem becomes how you can exchange information between the program graph and the output voxel graph. Saying that, so basically for each output voxel in the voxel graph, you want to find a corresponding color right, in, in the program graph. For example, in, in this location, is this going to be an office? Is this going to be a, a toilet? Or, or is this going to be a, a lobby room? Or something like that, right? So, so for each location uh, in the voxel space, we want to assign or pick uh, a, a node in the program space uh, to 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 feel 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 it. So so basically, it becomes more like attention, right? So you 
always have one voxel to look at the corresponding nodes in the same floor in the program space, right? Uh, it's not doing attention to other voxel, but instead doing attention oh. to the program space, right? So that's how you build the relationship or connection between these two graphs. Otherwise, they are not in the same uh, uh, modality. How actually can you do message passing? You're not doing message passing. You are doing this uh, pointer uh, attention mechanism. So, so basically, you just iterate. Uh, you just do message passing uh, in the in the mess in, in the program graph, and you do message passing in the voxel graph. But in between those message passing process, you have this attention mechanism helping you to pick a color or pick a node in in this in this program graph, uh, so that you can have this this back and forth process between these two modality. And then, of course, you have discriminator to see, you know, if the final voxel is okay or not. Yeah, that's uh, that's super interesting. Like, I haven't read this paper, but like, the the way you are like passing and doing um, attention is super interesting. And I'm just wondering, like, uh, like does the node have features of like the size uh, program, and and what about the features of the link in the graph? Yeah, so we we're not assigning uh, features to the ages or type to the ages, but we do assign features. For example, in the program node, you will know the type of this this room and also some desired, uh, uh, basically program ratio, right? So we also have some desired ratio for each program and so on. So you will have some program level information in each pro program nodes at the beginning. And then you will also have voxel level representation uh, information in each voxel node. For example, you will know the, the location coordinate of this current voxel, and you will also know the width, height, and the, and the length of, of this voxel, right? So, so and also it's it's type, right? So it's not assigned, if it is not assigned, it's empty. Uh, and then if you assign, it definitely has a type, right? So, so basically that's how, how it works. Awesome. Yeah, so basically the idea is instead of using any uh, existing representation that is less um, suitable for our uh, output, right? So, 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 so instead of using a very fine-grained uh, voxel chopping the 3D space into very dense voxel space that will re require lots of high uh, computation uh, mm -hmm. power, uh, instead, you you try to find you know a, a better representation that can create cleaner results, but also save more time for you. So yeah, um, we we did something at the beginning. It's basically we just using the same pixel output as, as house scan, basically just stacking house scan, <laughs> and that didn't work really well. First of all, it is still creating this. Uh, uh, pixel level output. Secondly, uh, the vertical communication is not as good as having this graph structure. So um, that's why we, we think this representation probably is better. And also in the future, like one might ask, okay, this is like, you know, although this is flexible, this is still like perpendicular Manhattan grids, right? Mm -hmm. So how can you do, you know, a, a tilted line or even curves? Uh, but yeah. I mean, this is doable because this is a graph, right? So if yeah. you chop the space not in perpendicularly, 
it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter for the graph. You can still compose a graph after chopping it randomly, right? So, so, so that's basically uh, the potential of it. But the problem is, in this project, we didn't have any data in that case, right? So we we were using our synthetic data. We don't even have real building data for this project. So we we use a synthetic data set. But of course, the the representation itself has actually uh, more potential. Than, than we shown in, in, in this project, yeah. I see, I, I was about to ask like, what was the data labeling augmentation and was, was it real versus synthetic? Yeah, yeah it's synthetic. So we, we, we build more like lots of parametric models and, and try to generate like 12, uh, 120,000 buildings, yeah. Got it. So like for like, uh, I'm. I want to know your thoughts for the synthetic data generation. Like, mm -hmm. we need, uh, let's say, architectural logic or domain expertise for the configurator. Yeah. So, yeah. how do you translate? Like, so there are opportunities for architects to contribute and collaborate with AI researchers because they need this data set. They need help in labeling. Also, they yeah. might need help in like uh, checking or validating whether it's a good generation or a bad generation. Yeah, 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 totally. So uh, I forgot to mention this project building again uh, is a collaboration with Obayashi. Obayashi is one of the largest construction company in Japan. So uh, we collaborate with them and then the, their architects are super supportive for this project. So we really enjoy working with them. Uh, they provide lots of feedbacks and also even working on many of those uh, data generation process. So yeah, uh, I think definitely this is, uh, it is, as I said at the beginning, it's a great way you find the, the, the place you can contribute, right? So, so if you are a designer, you don't know how to do model, AI modeling, but it's still okay if you are you know, having some interesting thoughts and you can contribute. So, so um, the process, I have to say at the beginning, it's not easy, right? So you need to build uh, the trust and build the communication. Uh, but later, you know, when everyone is aligned, this is like super awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And uh, you briefly mentioned about the structural model. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Project. Yes, I can just show mm -hmm. that. So this is a um, ICML paper we published last year. So basically the idea is architects usually doesn't have this structural design expertise. So, and even structural engineer, uh, when they have to optimize for some, you know, uh, cross-section sizes for all the columns and beams, they also have to iterate a lot by themselves, right? So whenever you run a simulation and then you have to tweak the results and run it again and again, so really, how can we do structural optimization uh, in a more uh, better way? And also, even if you run structural optimization, you, you, you still using genetic algorithm or something like that. So you still have to wait for each iteration or each seed. You have to wait for the result for the simulation, right? So it will take a lot of time. So how can we speed up this process? And uh, so basically, we propose two neural networks. One is the neural sizer that is basically given a structural skeleton that is trying to guess the best optimal uh, cross-section size for, for each element. Uh, and there's a second 
network called NeuroSync. It is simply trying to mimic or learn how the structural simulation system works. So, so it's just pre pretend it itself as a structural simulation tool, right? It's trying to produce all the uh, deviation and, and loading and stress on, on each element. And then we will be able to uh, uh, measure measure, measure the, the, the performance based on the output from the neural sync, right? Such that we can back propagate back to the neurosizer. So traditionally, if you, in the second stage, if you don't have neural sync, if you are using the, the traditional uh, simulation tool, of course you can still get the result, but you don't have gradient, right? So you have no gradient popping back, popping back to, to your, your, your model. And also you have to wait, right? So, so it's slow. So you basically, when you train neural sync, you're front loading those kind of uh, uh, simulation time uh, when you are training neural sync. And then when you are doing this design optimization training neurosizer, you don't have to train it, uh, do the simulation anymore. So this produced a really nice results for uh, structural design cross-section uh, uh, prediction. And then the more interesting thing is that because we are still using the same representation for uh, as many uh, structural simulation tool use like this, you know, uh, uh, graph representation for for columns and beams. So you can still uh, out, uh, use the the predicted result to do further real simulation and optimization, right? So so similar to if you remember the 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 the, the flap close project I was doing, so. When you have a better starting point, then you have much lesser iteration if you want to run a, a optimization or a simulation. So, so, so uh, that's basically some people will ask, like, okay, you use neural network to predict the structure system. If this is not safe, right? If if neural network gets wrong, right? Uh, yeah, we we know that. <laughs> but the point is not about using this as a final result. The, yeah. the two reasons using this as initial thoughts or ideas. And secondly, you can further optimizing it with much, much lesser time. Right. So, so yeah. So many people uh, who are doing surrogate modeling in, in for, for, for using machine learning for, for simulation. Um, I think one thing missing often missing is how you bring bridge the gap. Right. So, so many people are claiming, oh, this looks awesome and this is real time and blah, blah, blah. But the important thing is how can we make it more reliable? So there are two ways. One way is like what we do here. Uh, you can basically use the output result to further doing optimization or fine tuning. Or there's another way is you can uh, loop the real simulation and fine tuning in the training process, right? So, so if you do, several iteration that is doing the the fake or prediction uh, uh for for uh, basically from neural network and then you can add some real actions for simulation every several steps or something like that to guide your 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 simulation results to make sure that it's okay right so so all these kind of things uh, uh are really interesting uh, and i think uh can be really potentially useful for for many architectural design or simulation related problems. Yeah, yeah like Chengye, I, I must add, admit like, like I, I was a structural designer and you can't imagine like if you're doing a high rise, it's a nonlinear analysis for structures like 
the amount mm-hmm. of time you need to wait sometimes it's like 5 minutes 10 minutes for the analysis yeah. and yeah. i was thinking like what if uh currently we have like synthetic data but you have a plugin uh which might be on etap sap 2000 or robot like and it's recording this data when people are doing synthetic simulation and then indirectly it's sending to the cloud and like we are making the whole database for it exactly i think like that's that's going to be quite useful where yeah that's that's going to definitely be amazing but the the only thing is like if people are willing to do so right so so we need to build do the system or build a platform that is you know uh anonymous enough right so for example eliminating lots of uh you know confidential information and 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 such that people can be happy to share or i mean it's more even more like you know people just participating this kind of random generated structure simulation using their local computer to share the load or or something like that right so people can all contributing to those data building simulation process to uh, a larger data set that is shareable by everybody right so uh, as i said this project we did here is also using our synthetic data set but mm-hmm. again the graph structure or the building structure the representation itself is flexible is generic as long as we have enough data this should be also going to work right so so mm-hmm. yeah as you said eventually if we can build a good data set or a platform people can share structure simulation data that would be super awesome yeah yeah and to your point of accuracy like it's it's very important like even if uh, i'm doing my first simulation for my building like i give a uh, uh, like sizing based on the few like simple calculations you mm-hmm. we do and then after the analysis like if the mo- structure columns fail we do like propose a new sizing and stuff like that it could save a lot of time by just doing like this quick analysis and do give a proper si- sizing to start the accurate analysis like yeah yeah totally yeah so so you want to shorten the iteration right mm-hmm. and you also want to get a feeling and you also want to guarantee this result is usable so so having uh i think the key at least for us in this project the key is make sure the representation is the same uh from from your input and output and and also is the same consistent with other real tools you will be using right so so if this let's say if this output is point cloud or is a is a voxel or is an image this is not going to be a easy work bridging <laughs> it back to the real simulations tool right but if it is a, gra- a, a graph that's super easy right so um yeah so so i think that's the key yeah and i was wondering since it's a graph network like like all the parameters are features so if someone wants to adopt this model and have a different optimizer by adding cost or some construction feasibility yeah. parameters they could just do retraining and adopt this uh, model architecture to like have their own custom use case and totally totally yeah and i was wondering like uh, about the accuracy i have seen few models on like mechanical engineering where they are doing car simulation and those are also doing nonlinear analysis mm-hmm. for structures and those mm-hmm. so like are there any inspirations from that space of product level structural analysis or stress analysis about accuracy which we could also uh, study uh 
that direction I'm not really familiar with, to be honest. So, so uh, my research interest is still like in the design or related topics. So I didn't spend too much time tracking all those uh, uh, papers in that direction. But I, yeah, but I do agree those are really uh, promising works and there are many promising works over there. But one, one comment I, I, I guess is like, uh, when, when we are doing uh, data-driven methods, there are many uh, assumptions or, 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 or representation or, or simplification we are, we are basically using. So we just want to make sure um, the result is something we we can keep continue use, right? So 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 um, one example is basically uh, uh, what we want to you do here in, in the in this in this project is basically we have some kind of preset loading and 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 code, mm -hmm. uh, but when we um, change a dramatically changing the input code or loading cases, this might not going to work, but you'd have to retrain or pretrain the model. So uh, really it's about the, if you understand the underlying uh, rules and, 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 and knowledge enough, right? Before you really try to tune the model. So, so and, and there are, as I said, there are many tricks in, in every papers that is tailored to their specific problem, right? So, so for example, in ours, we have some kind of uh, structure uh, prior that is talking about how we passing the information from top floor to the bottom floor. But, you know, in some cases or in some other application, maybe this prior is not actually relevant, right? So, so whenever you are trying to utilize, you know, existing model that do, like look great, but you need to really understand underlying knowledge and engineering work and also the trick they apply such that you can actually uh, utilize in your case. Yeah, sorry, I took, took a little bit to explain it, but, but that's what I was trying to, yeah. No, I think like that's a really important point you mentioned and thanks a lot for uh, like sharing that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think we could move on to uh, your next research. Yeah, I, I think um, those are probably I will talk about some next steps um, mm -hmm. and also some existing project for the next steps. So we have been doing this kind of exploration, doing translating and generation in those representations. Uh, but there's a, a new representation or an implementation that I really, really care myself, which is 3D modeling sequence or programs. For example, uh, Dynamo, Grasshopper, this kind of thing, or even some of the scripting you, you can write to generate your, your design. So, or even very naively, the parametric model itself, like Revit or Fusion or any other modeling tools, right? So, so why this is important is that Let's say if we use building GAN or if you use house GAN or even other models to generate 3D or 2D drawings, even if those are in, in solid modeling shape or, or in, in, in uh, uh, vector format, you are already able to edit it, for example, that's okay, but it's not going to be structured, 
right? So you cannot tweaking or controlling parametrically. So how can we, um, or in other way, like many designers, when they are not familiar with uh, Dynamo, Grasshopper, they, they are not able to convert their model to those kind of thing, representation and play with the parametric variations. Right? So they have to build it manually. And, and the other direction is like, when you have a, a, a parametric model and then your design variations or, or, or ideas are limited or bounded in that structure. So whenever you want to do some crazy change, you have to actually largely rewrite or, or, or you know, eliminate your existing structure for your parametric design, right? So, so both ways are actually uh, take some effort. So how can you have a agent or architectural, uh, sorry, sorry, ma uh, machine learning model that can look at your representation in, in, this, in this domain, how help you to translate it to another domain or construct other representation back to this domain, right? So, so this is really something important. I think it's going to be very powerful, but as well as very hard, right? So, mm -hmm. um, this is one important next step. And then secondly, you know, of course, exploring different ways of interactions more, uh, such as how about we now use uh, a reinforcement learning agent? How can uh, an interactive agent working with a human designer? And also like language models are now recently very popular. We are also exploring text to 3D ideas as well. Um, but what I want to share a little bit today is the, the first one. So um, yeah, so the early work we did in, in, in this direction is a paper we published in 2018 with my uh, undergrad um, intern, Kevin Friends. So the idea is like, as, I said, as you can see here, right? So if we ever produce the image result, it's hard to edit it. But if the network is producing this vector or, or sequential result, it's really easy to edit like an illustrator, right? So, so, but the problem is when you train a model, like the drawer network here, uh, when it is basically drawing, uh, outputting the actions and drawing on the canvas, this process is not differentiable, right? So, so if you don't have a differentiable renderer, at that time, there was almost no differential renderer, yeah. but right now there are many. So, mm -hmm. so, so at that time, what we want to, uh, how we want to achieve uh, resolve this problem is we train another network called canvas that is trying to predict uh basically taking any actions trying to draw or imagine how the results will be looking like right so 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 you have this image as an output that is basically uh, trying to render uh, all the actions you have been taken and then you can in this way, compare with your input drawing with your output drawing, such that this process is going to be differentiable to improve your drawer network. So, so that was uh, the, the the idea. So, we since we don't have a differentiable renderer, we build one using neural network to to approximate it. So, uh, we submitted the the paper to uh, iClear 2019, but we got rejected. Uh, it was no, it's okay. That <laughs> happens. Uh, but there are actually another two concurrent work who, which are doing very similar ideas, uh, StrokeNet and this, this paper, uh, Learning to Infer and X to 3D Shape and Programs. Um, they're doing really, really similar things. And then th 
the their paper are really also uh, uh, great, uh, much mm -hmm. better written, well written than than ours because we <laughs> kind of did a little rush. But anyway, the the ideas were were the same. Uh, so so we will be able to basically uh, let the model to take actions. For example, drawing the strokes, and then basically can rewrite those uh, characters or actually draw the anime characters. And uh, uh, one interesting thing is like we can also do long strokes and short strokes. Uh, so basically, when you are scanning through the image, you can use a larger window first that will produce a larger or major strokes. And you can use a smaller window next that will produce the smaller strokes. And then uh, at that time, we didn't have enough time to explore uh, let the model to learn where when to use a larger window and when to use a smaller window. But this year there was um, a SeaGraph paper. This year they are actually doing that, and that looks super great. Uh, if you are interested, you can check it out. But anyway, uh, this this is also going to work in the three D modeling thing. So imagine when we do three D modeling, we are looking at the top view, side view, and front view, uh, and then we are imagining the action we can take by looking at these three views. So, so the input of the model will be these three views and the output will be the actions. And then whenever you produce the actions, you, your, your canvas network will imagine the consequence of this action. So for example, you look at this ground truth views and you the first imagination about you put a first cuboid is like this row, the second row. And then by looking at the second row, you will imagine, okay, I want to put a second cuboid. And then this is the imagination of that. And then you can, you know, build these two cuboids. So, so that's basically allow the model to, to learn how to do this sequential output. And uh, the, the next project, which is uh, the CPR paper this year, we did with the MIT and the Brown is basically do that in a more advanced way on solid modeling using the Fusion Gallery 360 data set. So basically, uh, by looking at existing 3D objects, we can decompose it or chop it into small pieces and try to find the relevant uh, pieces that can form the sketch and extrude operations such that in the end you will have these operations being generated you basically have the full parametric model being constructed right so so the idea is called zone graph which is actually if you can you can correlate it's really similar to building game right so you are observing uh, a 3d geometry and try to extend all the the surfaces and endpoint and then trying to use this extension to chop the space um, if you know, like many architectural designers and also many uh, even conceptual artists, when they are trying to create, draw something cool, they draw those cuboids and trying to divide it or chop it gradually mm -hmm. and finally form a very complex shape, right? And this is exactly thinking about that. So by looking at the final shape of a complex object, we can try to imagine what are the potential operation or components that will help us to, to model it, right? So if I ask you to model this mouse, what you will do is exactly doing that, right? So observing it and see where are the potential extrusion, what are in the important surfaces and so on. So yeah, we, we try to allow the model to learn this process in, in 
by basically chopping it, and finally we will be able to construct a parametric model. So um, this is basically one of uh, also the important direction we will be looking at is basically how we can convert instead of you know generate instead of 3D objects, but how about we create sequence of actions or or creating even a program to describe it. Uh, that would be more useful for designers. Yeah, um, I think that's probably all the projects I want to share today. And these are the collaborators. Just really want to credit them. They are awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like Chingy, I can't tell how much uh, I'm exploding with ideas and thoughts right now. Like to your slide 58, uh, when you were sure. explaining. Uh, yes. This one? So, yeah. yeah. Actually, uh, like I attended Neurobs uh, this year, and I saw people are using Clip for uh, guiding the strokes and like having larger strokes, smaller stroke, and creating a painting guided by Clip. And yeah. I could like forming some correlations there. And yes, yes. I was imagining like if uh, in language models they are doing masking and then doing like auto generative like the right. whole essay based on right. one prompt or starting. And this could even be helpful in construction sequencing. Like you start yes. with the foundation and this can complete the whole. Uh, yeah, 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 totally. Uh, I, 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 first of all, I, I, I think I also agree like that clip is going to be a very interesting uh, tool for us to explore different opportunities. Uh, secondly, you know, construction sequence or or modeling sequence, design sequence in general are like super interesting. And uh, so so so, but but again, there's not much data about it. So so, this fusion fusion gallery data set is like one of I think if I understand correctly, probably the only one currently in in, in the research field that people have this sequential uh uh operation for for building a 3d geometry but you know of course if that's possible for example like how can we get all the dynamo and grasshopper uh graphs or how can we record the modeling sequence for from, from other softwares and and how can we you know getting more and more this kind of data such that we can do research on so yeah that that would be super super and 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 language model in this case definitely will be will play an important role. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering like if if there are like multimodal models where it it creates like a base and I can say, okay, add one more vertical element and the language is guiding the sequence and geometry operations. But yeah, also yeah, yeah. and modify move like those kind of uh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if you are following the some of the latest works there. Recently, there are several papers um, on Twitter you can find, I guess. Um, they are basically using Clip to create or generate 3D shapes. Uh, some of them, uh, I can paste the link later, but uh, uh, some of them are sorry, I forgot the, the universities they, they did that, but uh, definitely using Clip. Uh, in the in the uh, creative field is really popular right now. Yeah. Yeah. And 
there was one slide, uh, I think 54, where you mentioned like three very interesting directions. Yeah. And uh, for, for the last point, can you elaborate like um, on, on that, like how uh, one could do from text to 3D, what kind of data set, uh, like some, some uh, thoughts on those. And I have seen like people arise of like GPT-3 and transformer architecture, like uh, what are the opportunities for us in this space? Yeah, 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 totally. So um, there are many ways you can think about it. So um, first of all, if you put everything into language model, that will be okay. And then there are also other ways people are utilizing clips, right? So so uh, the papers, uh, one of the paper, they recently even released a demo that you can actually say, oh, I want to change the color of this car, or I want to let the car look like this another car or something like that. So I forgot the paper name, sorry, but uh, they are using clip. So clip, you uh, if you know, there's a uh, a texting bad a text encoder and the image encoder, right? So they will basically bringing those embeddings to to the same space uh, as close as possible. So that's why you can you don't really need a language model for for outputting yeah you know, a, a representation. Your representation can be a, a different representation for your output, but you use the the language encoder in Clip to kind of encode what you want to input. Uh, other things such as, for example, you can also tailor uh, clip or the pure language model to a more domain-specific tasks, right? So, so for example, architectural design. Um, yeah, but what we will be interested in are, of course, all sorts of these things. And uh, we have been working on some of the, the things, but uh, we will release the result probably early next week. Uh, can talk about too much right now, but uh, uh, I will definitely keep you updated. Yeah. Uh, I am. I really look forward to what you guys are cooking, and uh, on the, on the reinforcement learning side, uh, I was just wondering, like, ultimately, if if you don't take take the advantage of reinforcement learning in true sense, it's acting basically as an optimizer, and you could have like genetic optimizer to do similar tasks. A reinforcement learning and i am i'm yet to like think about like alpha go level or like such kind of design space explorer using reinforcement learning where the model knows what are the possible design outputs for each design step sequencing and how can we like make guide the user not towards the design but also better performance design yeah, that that's that's definitely interesting. But uh, there are several concerns. Like generally, IRL agents are much harder to train, and uh, um, also design space is like super big. For you know, just if you only look at architecture design, it's already super big. So so what I'm more interested in here is that not to let agent to solve everything for us, but instead it's more like building a multi-agent system where the designer is also an agent. And then you have another agent. You guys are actually working together, right? So, 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 so in that case, none of the agent 
will need to know everything or be able to solve everything, right? So it's similar to this setup. We are actually still not allowing, you know, the, the blue dot to handle everything. We are still allowing, you know, the, the, the green dot, which is the human designer to drive some of the things, right? So similarly, if we have IRO agent, we just have the same environment, like different players and then how they can work with each other. That's actually a more interesting uh, uh, direction I, I, I will be looking for. But of course, eventually, if we can have very strong RL agent that produce very new and seen results that still fulfill all the design requirements, that will be great. But uh, I personally less interesting in those directions. I want to utilize the nature of IRO system more like a sandbox people can interact. So that's that's my my interest. But the other direction, of course, is cool. Yeah, I see. And uh, can you briefly describe uh, your work in semantic representations and detail flow plan? Uh, yeah. So so semantic representation is just a high level word. So if you think about the output from house scan, or even from building scan, those are not really floor plans with real floor plan lines or drawings or even furnitures or details those are just like room arrangements or volume arrangements right so so um but those are still important representation for us to des design or explore early stage ideas so so detailed one is more like when you want to finalize or input more details and of course they are inter inter they will be interacting between uh these representations as well but uh the high level idea for now at least for building gain and house scan are producing the semantic level representation not the detailed floor plans but you know of course we are willing to explore that as well but data set is <laughs> the, yeah. the biggest issue right so uh there are not much we can do over there yet yeah i see and uh one of the area i I was looking into, but I couldn't like find much information was like, mm -hmm. uh, like we had a time where a lot of people were experimenting with style again and producing like building flow plans, render, and yeah. all those was in the raster image format yeah. and Im image space. And if I want to translate that into vector format of lines and edges, like I couldn't find like a, a good uh, algorithm which could do that conversion or like that translation. Curious to know if your thoughts on that, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so if you remember my first project, it's exactly in doing that kind of thing, right? And that's also why we had this project, right? So, so we want to be able to look at one full point image and try to draw that vector <laughs> drawing. Um, but there are some existing works like from Simon Fraser University Professor Furukawa uh, lab, uh, so 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 they have some work about converting uh, image drawing from floor plan to to vectors. Um, uh, there are also many people who are doing uh, wireframe generation given a natural image, and uh, also the SeaGraph paper I mentioned earlier this year is also trying to vectorize uh, any. Uh, line sketches. Um, those are all, I think, relevant works that potentially can solve your problem. But uh, I think fundamentally, 
that's also why I changed the representation for building game. Fundamentally, is like we want to directly produce those representation <laughs> instead of doing a post processing, finding another network to convert it, right? So, okay. so yeah, that's uh, that's what I what I'm thinking right now. But uh, still, there are lots of work, related work or models that are doing similar things. Yeah. I see. And like, I have like few informal, non-technical questions uh, for sure. to wrap up the interview. So yeah. first is, there is so much research going on in AI. There are so many developments. How do you keep up to date? I can't. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the short answer is I can't. So, so the, the longer answer is like, I, when I started, um, I really try to read as many papers as possible every day. Uh, also I made many, many, like very long Google spreadsheets that are tracking all the papers and I have been reading and why they are relevant and everything like that. But, and also I was organizing lots of reading groups or paper sharing session internally uh, at Autodesk. And, um, but at to some point I found it's just impossible to cover every single field. So, so in the end, what I have been doing current recently is more like whenever there's a conference such as CVPR or NeurIPS, and whenever there's, uh, I saw something interesting on Twitter, and I think that's relevant. I will basically spend my time to pick some of them to read. For example, whenever I attend a conference, like a thousand paper, I will basically walk through all the posters uh, one by one, and then mark the relevant ones, seemingly relevant relevant ones, and then uh, I will have always have a very big deck <laughs> like <laughs> several hundreds of them right so so uh and then whenever i have time i will or whenever i found something relevant i want to look for answers or, or relevant works i dive into those those decks but i'm not expecting i can read all of them anymore so 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 that's a reality right just too many paper like 1000 per conference and then uh, although not all of them are relevant, but at least for every conference, you can find at least like 20 papers that are super relevant. And then, and every day you can also see that there are cool works tweeting on, on Twitter. And then uh, there are also many interesting subfields right now, like neural rendering, clip, language modeling for other type of image or 3D related tasks, and then all the 3D related work, how we do modeling, how we do reconstruction, how we do design. If you want to track everything, this is impossible. So first of all, and you, you try to collect as many, as much any paper or as much information as possible and try to keep your information updated every day, but don't expect you can have time to read everything. Eventually you need to pick the relevant papers you you really care about or the the, the when you are starting a, a project you will also based on that project you know what are the closest relevant paper or works right so yeah that's what i feel now i don't feel confident to say i'm you know updated every day anymore i but i'm more confident to say that i Although I will definitely miss some paper every day, 
but I'm not too worried about it because as long as I start a relevant topic, I will be able to reach to those papers, right? So, so yeah, uh, don't be too panic. I I think yeah. I see, and I'm curious to know like how does it like working in Autodesk AI group looks like? Like there are also many other AI researchers in the group. And how how does a day in your life look like? Yeah, uh, it's pretty flexible. So uh, the research organization is in those tech companies, not just Autodesk, are not like product teams. They have very strict cycle to deliver the new version of software and so on. So in in, in research, it's more like how you can come up with your own research topics and that topic has to align with the high level directions of autodesk vision and also oh what happened oh no 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 like oh, the oh screen. You, you, yeah. yeah yeah okay okay yeah. so yeah so so basically the day-to-day -day life is when you want to propose a project, you want to make sure your project proposal is aligned with the high level direction of research or even product. And then you also uh, are flexible to collaborate across uh, Autodesk internally. Uh, so in Autodesk research, we have not only AI lab, we have a robotic lab, we have HCI research lab, we have you know simulation optimization research lab and so on. So and we also even have like specific industrial application related groups. So, so, so for example, AEC or manufacturing. So you are allowed to collaborate or formulate project with anybody. And even like you can see many of my works are actually collaborating externally with academia. So you are also allowed to do so. Uh, you also need to kind of engage with customers and, and product teams so that you will be updated understanding their goals and their pains. And and yeah, I think uh, those are kind of the, the daily things we will be working on. But pretty much, I would say very similar to, you know, grad school, um, <laughs> for example, especially like in a professor's lab or, or as a PhD student. But just a little bit more responsibility to understand or to align with the the business purpose. Yeah, got it. And based on your experience, what were the challenges you faced when you were learning about AI in either in the research uh, papers or implementation? And your piece of advice to young professionals who who want to do similar work. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's really trying to understand uh, this, understand the spectrum and understand where you want yourself to be at this spectrum, right? So, so for me, uh, as I said, at the beginning, I only want to do apply, right? So I was not too worried about if I can produce algorithm or not. I, I just a little bit, uh, spend a little bit more time uh, understanding the implementation, trying to do that, and then so on and so forth. Um, but later on, I when I try to dive into the algorithms, and I definitely 
found, okay, now I need to read 100 paper from per month. And is that even possible? I, when I read <laughs> the, the first paper, I don't even understand what does that mean, right? And then I, I found in order to understand this paper, I have to read another 20 paper to understand these papers. Uh, all these kind of things are really difficult, but that's how you learn and that's how you build your, your, your strengths. But also that's, that's basically by your own decision. Right. So, so if you are not really into that, why do you need to read 100 paper uh, a month? Right. But if you do want to do that, 100 paper a month is not even enough. Right. So, so it's really about your decision. Uh, the, 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 the difficulty always, I think is to decide, right. So, 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 so to, to have a stopping point. Uh, on, on all the interested areas, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so uh, I, I mean, every area is like super fun, super interesting. No matter is in in AI or or actually in design, those are super cool, super fun. But when when do you, you know do you make a decision that okay, this is the boundary I'm building? I think that's the the toughest uh, thing. And secondly, uh, I still also I also remember when I was. Uh, at MIT taking all these courses, well, I was like, oh my God, I forgot all the math and <laughs> I had to <laughs> pick up all the math. I mean, it, it was actually a little bit easier for me because I I I I studied engineering school, right? So so that was but they're just like too long ago. I have to spend a lot of time. So I remember the first class I was taking uh at MIT, I dropped it because I like before the midterm, I found okay, no, I, I actually not yet, not ready for it. <laughs> so, 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 so that was like I remember like the first or second semester at MIT, but but I dropped it. So, so after another half year or so, that's that's how I I, I resumed that class. So, so, so basically, you know, uh, it's difficult. Also, when you are in a competitive environment, that like. How can you get a, a A or even just B with all the super smart uh, computer uh, computer science major students, right? So, so uh, it's like almost impossible. I, I failed, but you know, uh, it's also also your own decision. Once you decide to do that, you will find some way to to at least you know make it okay, right? So, for example, what I did is like uh, for for AI course, I remember what I did is like I watch all the course videos uh before every class i i try to understand everything even before i, I attend the class even including the joke the professor made <laughs> so, <laughs> so 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 in in this way i gain more confidence right so when i was in in class i feel okay i'm following everything and that build up your 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 mental uh, strengths and also make you more comfortable when you can even interact with the professor uh, of their from, from from their jokes. You feel feel like oh okay, I'm part of the class, <laughs> and and this is like how, how I did it. So so not just you know reading uh, watching the video, but also do, did a lot of reading before the class, and 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 luckily many of the classes like are has recordings online recently, right? So nowadays you can easily find any classes on. on in Stanford, MIT, and so on. So, so you can do a lot of you know work you you by yourself, and then 
to gain <laughs> this kind of confidence. Um, but you know, this is a long process, but as long as you want to do it, I think anybody can, can do that. But, and, and also another thing is like, even before 10 years ago, like I found for architectural designers, it's really not that hard for them to learn coding if they really want. The mm -hmm. most important thing is if they want or not, because I, I think the training of architectural design or even, you know, civil engineering provides you this ability to think in a logical way and to, to actually even, even thinking in a graphical way, in a, in a in visual way. And that really helps to understand algorithm to code. And, and when you have a purpose and then you really know what to do and learning coding is not that hard anymore. So I remember when I was in engineering school and mechanical engineering, I took the, the first semester I had, I had to, to, to take like C++ class, but I forget everything like right after the class <laughs> because I had nothing to do with it, right? So it is not relevant to 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 any other things that uh, that I, I I'm I'm taking the classes and so on. So so but but in architecture school, like I found oh everything is relevant. Like I can do anything uh, whenever I want to achieve something. I can imagine okay if I can do this by coding in this way and so on. I I can potentially do that. So 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 finding a purpose and then having this you know design training i think is so 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 relevant to 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 learn uh, coding and, and even ai so yeah just don't be <laughs> afraid of those mathematical things and uh, try to you know make your own decision and, and try to dive into those i, I think that would be it yeah i think like that's a great piece of advice and i could literally uh, feel that when time sometimes you're taking those AI courses, like you have those self-doubt moments that, okay, <laughs> yes. everyone is getting it. Like, yeah. what am I doing wrong and stuff like that. Yeah. But definitely that mental confidence, uh, yeah. it really helps. So I definitely yeah. recommend that. And yeah. uh, also like because of Grasshopper and like we are already thinking algorithmically uh, <laughs> and it's getting better and better. Yeah. And for people who wants to get into AI, I think like at this point it's, uh, there's so many free resources on courses on exactly. YouTube or Coursera. Exactly. And also yeah. if you find some interesting creative AI paper, they also have collab scripts. So you could just go to the collab, understand the right. code and just play it. So like curiosity driven uh, exploration, I think like goes a long way. Yes. Yes, exactly. Totally. Yeah. I think it's almost two hours and I, I, I lost track <laughs> of time, but uh, <laughs> I have like, uh, uh, two uh, questions before we end the interview. Yeah. So what is one technical or non-technical book which made a big impact in your life? Ah, interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, so a book might be a little bit too formal. I, can I or jump into video something or movie. informal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Um I I was um a big fan of animation uh when I was even very young. Um there was a there are actually maybe just use one. So 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 there's a one uh animation. This is basically 
Uh, it's called Cyber Formula. Um, basically, a, a, a racing car anime, and uh, it's basically talking about in in the future. Oh, actually, it's not in the future anymore because it was 1990. The, the animation <laughs> is 1990. They are talking about like 2015 or 2016, like, but we are already passing that. <laughs> yeah, but 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 anyway, uh, they are thinking like uh, in that um, world, uh, uh, F1 is not any F1 anymore. It's like people are driving a more intelligent car that can be basically faster and do a lot of cool things and then one of the the episode is like they had a uh, a company they are building a very strong a car with a very strong ai that can directly manipulate the driver so <laughs> so so the driver is just basically <laughs> sitting there being, being controlled by the algorithm by the ai computer and uh and and the the other side, like uh, the main character, they he was driving a car that has also an AI system, but that AI system is very rude and very has a very interesting personality, and that tries to always to fight with this <laughs> this driver, and then eventually they learn how to work with each other, and then they won the race, uh, win over you know the the the. The controlled one, right? So, so that's actually, yeah, that that you know, really, when, many years later, when I started to think about AI and when I think about think about how we can build an interactive design system, I thought about that animation, and I think that's the answer, right? So, so for for me, how we can work closely and interactively with algorithms, with with tools. And how we can preserve, you know, our own creativity. How we can drive the design ourselves is actually the goal uh, for me to explore AI. Instead of, you know, having a strong AI that eventually control or 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 compute or construct everything, right? So so yeah, I, I think that's the. The thing, if every anyone you know asks me the philosophy or the inspiration, I will always talking about that. Yeah, I hope that makes uh, sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I will check that anime out. But, uh, yeah. lastly, uh, in one line, what is uh, a message or a thing which we didn't cover in this interview, but you'd like to share? Okay. Um, let me think. Yeah. So, um, having a a strong goal or destination of your career is good, but trying to explore or jumping around is also fun. So. It really depends on your personality, right? I'm I'm the later, but you know the former is also good. So it's trying. Oh, I mean, as I said many times in in this in in this call, uh, I think the most important thing is to understand yourself and make the decision. Right? So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Chingy. I I learned a uh, many things in this interview, and your work is very 
incre incredible pushing the boundary in AEC AI research. And thanks a lot for your time for this interview and sharing yeah. your thoughts with us. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. I hope, you know, uh, we can keep in touch and I also welcome uh, any audience of this, this interview to reach out to me if they are interesting, know more about the project details or uh, have some interesting thoughts we can exchange. Awesome. Uh, I'll share awesome. your Twitter and LinkedIn uh, information in the video description for anyone to reach out. Okay. Have a nice awesome. rest Thank of you. your day. Bye-bye. You too. Happy holidays. Bye.